0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. John chapter four this morning, and we're gonna take a break. Uh, Of course, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been been gone. I wanna thank those of you that prayed for us as we were Uh, Out of town, we were in Wenatchee uh, two Sundays ago with uh, Micah Bosworth and our church plant there at Ridgepoint. And then uh, last week, got to be in Spokane, Uh, we got my dad settled into that rehab facility in Spokane. And then just stayed over the weekend with my sister and her husband, uh, Pastor Jim Zeke, and got to be at service there. And then uh, watched the services here, and uh, it was was a good day here last week. And appreciate uh, the message by Pastor Rob a week before by uh, Pastor Brian. And uh, of course, I'm a little offended, though, with Pastor Rob's message last week uh, because he... um, it's emotional for me, but he, uh, because he knocked my Denver Broncos. <laughs> so we might be looking for a new youth pastor soon. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. I will say that was a good illustration. He, I, it, The video he played, if you weren't here, he played a video of the Broncos uh, fumbling the ball and the Bengals running it back and all this great stuff that... Uh, Anyway, I just would point out that the Broncos beat the Seahawks last night in a preseason game, and I know preseason doesn't count, but they still won, so uh, anyway. (laughs) Well, John chapter 4 this morning, and um, we are taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be back in that in just a, a couple of weeks. And uh, looking forward to the next couple of weeks as we really dive into this phrase, into the city. Uh, Many of you have probably heard the phrase, into the city, or you hear our into the city outreaches, and you think, well, what is that? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. How many of you, when you were growing up, um, your mom or your dad or a teacher, they said to you, you need to always expect the unexpected? Have, you ever have, you have a parent? How many of your parents taught you that growing up? My parents taught me that you've got to expect the unexpected. But my dad did it in a, um, he did it in a, uh, I don't know, a different sort of way. My dad taught us to expect the unexpected by getting us to be next to him, or we would be, uh, you know, just standing somewhere. And he would often say, hey, you know, he'd just remind us, hey, remember, expect the unexpected. And then a little bit later, he'd say, hey, you see this hand? you see this hand right here? You see my hand? And we'd be looking at his hand, and then he'd go, pop, and hit us with the other hand. And he'd go, expect the unexpected. And then a few minutes later, he'd go, hey, hey, see my hand? See my hand? And we're like, yeah, you're not going to get me twice, so we'd be watching the other hand. And he'd go, pop, expect the unexpected. And I can't tell you how many times we'd be around my dad, and he'd, he'd go, see the hand? See the hand? And you never knew where it was coming from. I mean, pretty soon he'd go, see the hand? Pop, hit you with both hands. You know, he's just messing around. He'd do that, see the hand, then he'd kick us, see the hand, then he'd hip bump us. You know, he's always just doing crazy things. Expect the unexpected. We'd be walking in a mall. And I remember as a 14 or a 15 year old teenager, be walking in the uh, Tacoma Mall. And on multiple occasions, on multiple occasions, uh, he would want me to know, you got to expect the unexpected. Well, what do you mean? I'd be walking and Dad would see a group of teenage girls to the side of where we would be walking and he would slowly kind of walk toward them and I wouldn't really even realize it and he'd walk toward them and right when we'd get near them he would push me right in the middle of them and just keep walking and go he's single You know he always do dad always did stuff like that and really it's just kind of fun and fun and games but expect the unexpected you know, many people here, you've had times, and I'm not talking about your dad doing, you know, expect the unexpected, but you've had times when the unexpected happened. There's the, there's the, the hard unexpected, the unexpected phone call of, of cancer, the unexpected phone call of maybe a loss of a loved one, the unexpected uh, release in a job, The unexpected call that an investment went south. Now, now we don't like those unexpected things. But many in here, you've also had some good unexpected things. That phone call of that long lost friend that you haven't spoken to in years that you got disconnected from them and got an unexpected phone call or an unexpected message on Facebook Messenger or an email and reconnected with somebody. The unexpected promotion, the unexpected guest that drops by your house that, that you haven't seen in, in five or six years that you're just amazed to see and excited to see, the unexpected pregnancy. The unexpected one of, we've been praying for years to have a baby. We have some friends on the west side prayed for years to be able to have a baby and decided, figured out, you know what, this just isn't God's plan for us. And they decided to adopt, so they adopted twins. And the day or the week after the adoption went through, they found out they were expecting. Now you and I would go, oh my goodness, you know what they thought, man, this is awesome. Look at what God has done. The unexpected. All of us have situations that we look at and we say, well, that was unexpected. As we come this morning to John chapter number four, we're coming to a place where there is a lot of unexpected. There's a lot of unexpected things happening. John chapter number four, this passage takes place just a a few months into the earthly ministry of Christ. This passage, uh, if you were to go to John chapter 4, just give you some background for it. Jesus has already called his disciples unto himself. He's already started in ministry. He's already uh, performed a few miracles. Jesus is one in in these passages that he's already really spreading the truth of salvation to anybody who would listen. And John chapter 4 actually takes place in the the central region of Israel, a place called Sychar in in the region of Samaria. Now, why that's interesting to us this morning, I, I will allude to it more throughout the message. But Samaria was a place that Jewish people did not go, and it was a place that the Gentiles did not go. Well, why was it that place? Because, we'll see from our passage, the Jews and the Gentiles, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans were people that uh, they were considered a half-breed. Well, what does that mean? It means that one parent was a Jew, one parent was a Gentile, and the Samaritans were part both. So the Jews didn't like them because of the Gentile blood in them, and the Gentiles didn't like them because of the Jewish blood in them. This It was racism- It was racism at its core. And in the passage, we're going to see that most of the time when Jews would travel, they would travel if they were going from the northern region of Galilee to the southern region of Judea. They would cross over the Red Sea into the area of Decapolis, 10 cities, and they would travel south and then cross back over near Jericho. But on this particular occasion, the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't do that. As a matter of fact, it says that he must needs go through Samaria. This story, really, the entire story is filled with the unexpected. An unexpected conversation. An unexpected journey. An unexpected decision. An unexpected result. An unexpected impact. There's just so much that is unexpected in this passage And I want you to see it with me this morning. So I want you to take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 4, and let's stand together. Let's just read a few verses. John chapter 4, and beginning in verse number 3. John chapter 4 and verse number 3. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. He's going from the south to the north. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, there in Sychar. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, he set thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour, about noon. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For because his disciples, they were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans." I'm going to stop right there. We're going to cover the entire, most of the chapter this morning. But Jesus does the unexpected. He travels into Samaria. But then he has a conversation, not only with a Samaritan, but with a Samaritan woman. An unexpected conversation. And then this morning, what we're going to see is an unexpected outcome. An unexpected outcome because of Christ. A story again, filled with the unexpected. And the question that I'm going to give to you this morning after we, as we conclude, the question I want to ask you is, will you do the unexpected? Will you do the unexpected? And so pastor, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. So let's pray, and then we'll figure out what that means this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, Would you ask God to speak to your heart this morning? Would you ask God to help you? And then would you make a a decision? God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you. God, I want to make a decision today based on what you speak to me about. Dear Lord, thank you for the word of God again, and thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. And Lord, I pray as we go through the service, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak today. And God, as we're in a familiar passage, I pray that you'd help it not to be uh, just kind of a, a mundane approach to it. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to receive what you want us to receive today. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're gonna do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. If you've been at our church for any length of time, you've heard messages on John 4. I've actually preached at least one and sometimes even two messages from this passage every year around this time. And so as we come to this passage today, once again, I just want us to notice a number of thoughts before we see the unexpected results and be challenged to to be someone who does the unexpected. I want you to notice just a few things with me as we make our way through the passage. First off today, I want you to notice what we're calling an unlimited love. I want you to notice an unlimited love in John chapter number four. We've seen this before, and I know I've mentioned the love of Christ in this story before, but the love of Jesus is saturated in this narrative that we find in John chapter four. This chance happening between Jesus Christ and the Samaritan woman is not a chance happening. This happening, this situation, this circumstance was, so, was done so that Jesus Christ could demonstrate his love towards somebody who many would look at and say was unlovable. John chapter 4, we're introduced to a Samaritan woman. We don't know her name. We don't know a lot about her, but we can derive a few things about her well, what can we figure out today? Well, we can figure out her hometown. She was from the village of Sychar. She was from, (coughs) excuse me, this area in Samaria where Uh, many Jews would not travel. Sychar was something that you could probably look at. And for us, it wouldn't say much to us of, oh, well, she was from Sychar. But when it says that there cometh a woman of Samaria from the village of Sychar, uh, to the Jew, they would look at that and they would say, well, that person, they're from the other side of the track, so to speak. Man, that person, they're from somebody, they're, they're from somewhere that I don't, I don't travel to, much less would I ever talk to somebody who is from that area. We, we read a statement made by the woman when she asks Jesus, how is it that you ask me of drink, uh, ask me for some water? When I'm a woman, of, I'm a Samaritan, but then also I'm a woman from Samaria. We just can look and discover that her, her hometown was against her. The statement at the end of verse number nine, the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, is really an understatement. Historical research would actually show that the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans simply because they were a mixed race. They were often rejected by the full-blooded Jews because they couldn't prove their lineage. And then they they were rejected by the Gentiles because they claimed Jewish heritage. Because of this, the Samaritans, they had really, uh, one commentator said it this way, they had adapted to life within their own borders. Well, what does that mean? Well, they set up their own temple. They started their own religion. They, they, they proceeded to worship at Mount Gerizim, and we'll see all of this in just a second. And because they did that, that caused the Jews to hate them even more. And the, um, if you've been with us in our series in, in uh, Corinthians, you'll recall The derogatory statement, oh, well, you're just like a Corinthian. Well, the Jews, their derogatory statement was, oh, well, you're just like a Samaritan. John uh, John 8, 48, the Jews speaking to Jesus, they said this. They said unto him, say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. That was the insult they're giving to Christ. Uh, Well, you're you're just demon possessed like a Samaritan. (laughs) And how would you like that? How, how would you like that for your hometown to be known and to be a, uh, your home area, Grant County? How would we like that to be a, a derogatory thing? I don't know about you, but when I go travel to the west side and somebody says, oh, you're, oh, you're from the east side. <laughs> oh, you're, I want to be like, yes, I'm from the east side. It's also the best side. <laughs> I've lived on both, so I know you know what when when you're from somewhere you, you really get get a little bit of pride about it don't you and i'm thankful to be an american i am i'm I'm thankful to be born in the u s a and I'm thankful for those that that come here and, and desire citizenship and want to be a part of the USA. And man, I'm, I'm proud of our country and I'm proud of, of our military. And I'm, I'm, I may not be proud of all the directions or decisions that have been made, but I'm proud to be an American and worship God freely and have the freedoms that we, man, right now we can gather today and we don't have to worry about getting arrested or being persecuted or anything. And I'm thankful. And that's because we live in the United States of America. I'm thankful for that. I have friends that they're not from the United States of America. And you know what? They, they can sometimes make fun of the United States of America. And uh, you know what I do? I just make fun of their country. Why? Because I like my country. I like America. You know what, though? America, we, we live here. We like it. People may, may desire to be here. Samaria wasn't that way. The only people who liked it those who were living there and really those who were born there. You didn't move to, you didn't move to Samaria. This woman, she had her lifestyle going, her, her uh, hometown going against her. She had her lifestyle going against her. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 16 in our passage. We're going to kind of bounce around just a little bit. Verse number 16, we'll see the uh, other verses in just a second. But verse number 16, Jesus said to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. This woman, by the standard of that day and by God's standard, she she had a lifestyle going against her. She had a lifestyle of being somebody. Now, in our day and age, it's not uncommon uh, for someone to be married uh, a few times. And if that's your past, I'm not speaking about all of that today. We're just going to derive some, some things from the, the passage to help us understand that in that day and age, uh, someone being divorced and remarried multiple times, they were looked down upon. That, that, was, that was unheard of. That was something that would cause you to become an outcast. Now, if, if a spouse had passed away and they had remarried, they, they looked at that differently. But in this case, that, that's not the case. No, her lifestyle was one that people looked at and scoffed at. Her lifestyle was one that people looked at in a bad light. We know it also because of the time of day it was. Well, where do we know that? You go back to verse number three and four when it says that it was in the sixth hour, verse five maybe, when it was in the sixth hour that she came to draw water, at noon. At noon, in the, in the heat of the day, she's there drawing water and that would be very uncommon during this day and age. Uh, most of the time, women would go together to draw water and they would go together earlier in the morning. Usually, they would go between the hours of 7 and 9 in the morning, sometime even earlier. Well, why would they do that? Well, they went in groups because of some of the safety concerns. They would go outside of the city to to the well. But they also went for the, the camaraderie and the fellowship and the women that would hang. Women can't do anything alone. Some of you know where I'm going with this. can't tell you how many times my sisters... One would look at the other and say, I need to go to use the restroom. Do you? Well, no, but I'll go with you anyway. I'd love to have that. I'd love for some guys to have that conversation. <laughs> you know, I'd be sitting somewhere and guy, you know, guys are sitting down watching a watching the demo derby. We went to the demo derby this last week. Guys are there like, hey man, I need to use the restroom. You, you gotta go? No, I don't, but I'll just walk with you. If someone ever did that with me, I'd be like, sit on this end of the bench. You know what, man, they can't, women, you know, there's just that camaraderie. There's that fellowship. But what's she doing? Well, her lifestyle was against her. Because of her lifestyle, because of her lifestyle, we also see her shame. She's there at the sixth hour. She's there at noon. She's there all alone. She's there with, without people accompanying her. She's there. Well, why would this be? This would be because they didn't want anything to do with her. Her shame was against her. It was that sixth hour. It was that time when she would be there all alone. You say, Pastor, why, why highlight all of these negative things about her? Well, I highlight all of these negative things about her because in spite of all of these negative things, Jesus shows up and Jesus shows up. What does he do when he shows up? Skip down if you would <clears throat> to uh, verse number verse number 10. Well, wait, let's uh, we're not we're not going to go there yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. You know, what Jesus does, Jesus shows up and he speaks to her. He asks her for water. Well, why do you even speak to me? Don't you know that I'm a I'm a wom- I'm, I'm from Samaria and I'm a woman and Jesus he just continues to speak to her. Well, what is what is Christ demonstrating for us? by speaking to her. I believe he's demonstrating an unlimited love. He accepted her. He loved her. He knew everything about her, and yet, what did he do? He still spoke to her. He still made her an offer that we're going to see in just a minute. Can I just pause this morning, and I just want to remind you of something. I want to remind every one of us this. You and I can do nothing to deserve acceptance and love from God. You you don't deserve it. I I don't deserve it. We look at this woman and her lifestyle and her, her flaws, and no doubt on the outside looking in, we can cast judgment. Oh, wow, I can't believe she'd be like that. Oh, wow, I can't believe she'd do that. But what if your story was written on these pages? People would probably go back and say, oh, wow, I can't believe. And yet, you know what Jesus says? I love you. I say it often at church, and I I really hope that it would be something that would be kind of just burned in our mind. But the statement that Jesus will never love you any more or any less than he does right now, because his love for you is not based upon performance. It's not based upon anything that you say or do. It's based solely upon him. And what is God? God is love. And I'm so thankful today that he loves me in spite of me. (laughs) I don't know. And again, I'm not trying to repeat things that we say often. I I really want us to think about it. There's days I don't love me. There's days I don't like me. There's days I want to be away from me. You know Jesus says? He says, Dennis, I love you and I accept you. What a loving, gracious God. I see as you come to John chapter number four, I see an unlimited love. But I want you to notice in verse number 10 all the way down through verse number 15 what I'm calling this morning an unbelievable offer. An unbelievable offer. Look with me if you would at verse number 10. Jesus, so the woman, she asked the question, why are you... Speaking to me and asking me for water. And Jesus answered, Get Oh, just pay attention to these verses. Jesus answered and he said unto her, Hey, if you knew, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him. And he would have given thee living water. The woman, she saith unto him, Sir, thou, thou hast nothing. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus. He answered and he said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. In these few verses, we find Jesus offering water to her. But this is not just your run-of-the-mill well water. No, this is the water of life. This is water that will not simply quench a physical thirst, but water that will quench the thirst of your soul. What is Jesus speaking about? Skip down to verse number 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this uh, mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So verse number 16 through 18, Jesus pointed out the things about her husband Verse 19 and 20, she changes the side, I think you're a prophet. You know things about me that most people don't. You're foreseeing the future, and she changes the topic of the discussion of her life, and what does she do? She points to her good. That's what she does. She points to her good. Our fathers worship, hey, I'm of, I'm of a religious background. We, we worship here in Mount Gerizim, and, and you, the Jews, you say worship in Jerusalem, So she's she's following the conversation. She's understanding that Jesus is is bringing out some religious principles and some uh, uh, um, uh, things that would go along with their teaching. And she changes the subject. Isn't that just a side thought? Isn't that just like us? When the conviction of God begins to poke at us, we begin to justify ourselves with our religion. And just like this woman God was convicting her and she changes the thought. I perceive that you're a you're a prophet. Oh, I'm 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 religious. Hey, I'm religious. But notice what Jesus does verse number 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall Neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for because salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. What is Jesus saying to this woman? Remember, she changes the subject to religion, and Jesus simply says to her, religion is not enough. You see, there's coming a day. Jesus speaking to her. There's coming a day when you guys say worship at Mount Gerizim. The Jews say worship in Jerusalem. But there is coming a day when you won't, you won't need to worship there in Gerizim or in Jerusalem. No, you will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I don't have time, really, we could do a a number of messages in John chapter number four, and we don't have time to really dive into all of this this morning, but I just want to connect verses 10 through, verse verse 10 through 15 to verse 21 through 26. What is Jesus doing in this woman's life? He's presenting salvation to her. That's what he's doing. He's presenting himself as the living water. He's presenting to her not religion. He's presenting to her a relationship. He's presenting to her the understanding that every single person must be born again. He's already spoken this to Nicodemus in John chapter number three. But I want to give us something just very quickly this morning, why I call this an unbelievable offer. I call it an unbelievable offer because number one, she does not deserve salvation. Because of her lifestyle, because of who she was, because of what she had done, because of the sin that was in her life, she did not deserve for Jesus to say, hey, just receive me. She says, well, I know one day Messiah is coming. And Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah. I am he. I am the one that you're searching for. She didn't deserve it. But I also called an unbelievable offer, number two, this morning, because of the fact that she had to do nothing to receive it. What do you mean, pastor? He didn't say, you're you're right, you need to go to Mount Gerizim and bow 15 times. You need to go to Jerusalem. No, 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 Jews are right, go to Jerusalem. No, he said, hey, you've gotta be able to worship in spirit and truth. What's that mean? Just like John chapter number three, you can only truly worship God when you're born spiritually and when you're worshiping in truth. The truth of the word of God combined with the spirit of the word of God allows us to worship God truly. But the third reason that I call this an unbelievable offer is because of the phrase living water. Had a conversation with a friend recently. It's a friend that I'm trying to bring along uh, toward toward the Lord. And it's interesting, I've had had this conversation with multiple people over the years. But have you ever noticed how unfulfilling things in life can be? My friend said to me, you know, I thought money would fulfill my life, but it hasn't. I've had people say, Pastor, I thought getting that promotion would fulfill me, but it hasn't. I thought that marriage would fulfill me, but it hasn't. Anybody in here, before you received Christ, can you remember when you tried to fulfill the emptiness in your life without Jesus? What happened? You just kept thirsting. <laughs> there's, there's a thirsting that couldn't be fulfilled. As Pastor Micah put it a long time ago, there's a a God-sized hole in our heart. You know the only thing that can fulfill you and I? It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is living water that is born within us that produces a well, a well of living water. What is a well? A well just keeps producing water and the well of Jesus never runs dry. Last night, I had the opportunity, had a friend give us um, uh, a couple of tickets to the Seahawks game, the, the preseason game where the Broncos won. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, <laughs> we got to go to that last night, so I took my sons and Pastor Micah, and we went up there and, and, uh, and got to go to that game. And you know, if you've ever been to a scene like that, just literally, literally thousands and thousands of people. And everybody's, you know, kind of living it up, just buying a bunch of merchandise and, and buying a bunch of food and buying a bunch of alcohol and just, just kind of living it up. And, you know, as I looked around, you know what I thought? I thought, man, God, thank you for fulfilling my life. What do you mean, Pastor? As I looked around and you hear conversations and you watch people, everybody's just looking for fulfillment. And maybe that next promotion will do it. Maybe that next game will do it. Maybe that next vice will do it. Maybe that next hit. Maybe that next drink. Maybe that next relationship. Can I tell you, Jesus is the living water. And he made an unbelievable offer to this woman and he makes an unbelievable offer to you and I. It's the offer of salvation. And you see through his death, burial, and resurrection, he made it possible for you and I to put our faith in him and to receive him into our life. And we don't have to do anything for it. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. No, it's a living water made possible only because of him. And while we go through life searching for fulfillment in so many places, Jesus said, I am the living water. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst, listen, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Can I say this morning, whoever you are and wherever you are, whatever you've done, God loves you. He's accepted you and he is interested in you. And you know what he does? He offers you the same salvation that he offered to this woman at the well. An offer that says, I will produce in you living water. Well, how do I receive it? It's that simple. You just receive it. You just put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and putting your faith in Christ doesn't just give you an eternal life with him. It gives you a savior for every day. It gives you somebody to walk with you in trials and someone to walk with you through your journey. It gives you someone that you can lean in as the burdens of life press down upon you. It gives you the the word of God that literally answers every question that you and I might have. Listen, it gives you a relationship with God. I told the church family on Thursday as we preached out of uh, Psalm chapter number uh, 42, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul longeth after thee, O God. Uh, in the dry and thirsty land where no water is, Psalm 63, God, I just long for you. And I told the church family on Thursday, man, the last, uh, which you as a church, you know, the last, uh, last 10 weeks, 15 weeks for us, for me, it's just been crazy. As a chaplain with the church, I've dealt with at least one death, every an average of one death every week uh, for 10 weeks. I mean, it was nuts, just people dying and getting called out, and then everything that happened with my dad, and then uh, we've had the, the three extra kids with us, and so I was looking forward to August 2nd. I was like, vacation, August 2nd, vacation, August 2nd, vacation, August 2nd. And I remember telling Hannah, where you can ask her, I kept saying, August 2nd, honey, August 2nd, August 2nd. And she'd come in and be like, babe, you're gonna go out on another call? And I'd said, August 2nd, August 2nd. <laughs> August 2nd came and I got another call on August 3rd. <laughs> you know what happened? You know, God did, and I'm so thankful he did it in the, in the days leading up to just this past week. I was like, God, I really need a vacation vacations are good. How many of you like vacations? I was like, God, I need a vacation. Just give me a break. If I could just get a break, I'll be good to go. And you know what God brought to my mind? Because our vacation, it didn't happen like we had planned. I ended up working with my dad and doing all of that and going through just the craziness of those those last few weeks. And you know what God showed me? Dennis, a vacation is not going to fulfill it. You need me. Dennis, you need, you need my help. You need my grace. You need my strength. If we're not careful, we forget that living water is within us. We forget that living water produces fulfillment in our life. We think that we, we kind of revert back to those times before we knew Christ. And even though we're saved and on our way to heaven, we think, I'll find fulfillment if, if I get a vacation, if I get the promotion, if I could just, if I could just win a few hundred bucks here, if I could just do this here, if I could just, and God says, nope, nope, that won't fulfill you. You need me. It's an unbelievable offer. Why? Because it gives us not only eternity for tomorrow, but it gives us a savior for every day. Notice thirdly with me this morning, and very quickly, I see an unashamed desire. An unashamed desire. What happens in the story? Look, if you would, at verse number 26. Jesus said unto her... I that speak unto thee am he, and upon this came his disciples, and they marveled. Man, they were, they were amazed that he talked with the woman, and yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? You know, they came up on the scene, and they were like, Whoa, hey, 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 look. Look who Jesus is talking to. And they began to talk amongst themselves, but they got there, man. they dare not. They, they, weren't, they didn't even uh, uh, think about asking out loud, What are you doing? Well, why would they think that? Again, the Jews had no dealing with Samaritans, and even these disciples of Jesus at this point were still dealing with that, uh, with that uh, prejudice. But notice what happened in verse number 27. It says, the woman then left her water pot, and she went her way into the city. I love verse number 28. I remember studying a number of years ago, verse, this verse, verse number 28, and how much it stood out to me. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. The word into, it means to go with intent or with purpose. That's what that one little word into means, to go with intent or with purpose. Well, what what did she do? Well, she left her water pot. You say, oh, pastor, that doesn't mean anything. No, 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 it means a lot. What was she at the well to do? To get water. What do you need to get water? A water pot. Why would she get water? Because you need water to survive. In that day, we didn't have the great kitchen sink. You know, you just go and turn the water on. You had to go out, you had to go out to the well, and it wasn't even a well that some of you grew up on where you pump it. No, 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 no. It was a well where you drop a bucket or a pot down in, you get water, and you carry that water back to your house, and that water lasts you for that day. And then the next day, you get up and you go down there and you drop that pot in there, or that bucket in there again. You drop the bucket in, pull it up, pour that water in your water pot, and you just go through this routine. What did she do on this day? she leaves the water pot her purpose is changing well wait pastor why is her purpose changing somewhere in between verse 26 and verse number 28 do you know what happens to this woman she put her faith in Jesus we're going to see it confirmed in just a minute but she put her faith in Christ she believed when he said I am the Messiah hey I that speak unto thee I am he she went I believe you already told me everything, and so what does she do? She leaves her water pot. She has now new purpose. And she went into the city. There's new desire. Well, what's the desire? She went into the city, new purpose. She, went, or she, she left her water pot, new purpose. She went into the city, new desire. Well, what was she doing? Look at verse 29. Look at verse number 28 and 29. It says, she saith unto the men... Come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You know what this woman did? Now she had uh, not only a new purpose and a new desire, but she had a new priority. What is her priority? Listen, don't miss it this morning. Her priority in leaving her water pot, going into the city, she and she proclaimed to people what Jesus had done. Hey, come see a man that told me everything I did. Is not this the Christ? I, I've just met Jesus. Listen, I met the one who offers living water. He told me everything about me. This is him. Hey, come and see. Man, what, a, what an unexpected uh, conversion. I mean, this is the woman, remember? The city people, they, they all knew who she was. Sychar wasn't a Moses Lake. It wasn't uh, 25,000 25, in the city limits and, and 42,000 on the outskirts. It wasn't, it wasn't a large area. No, Sychar was a, a simple village. I, I, didn't, I don't know the population of it, but, but prob- probably not over 1,000 people. They all knew her. Her shame and her lifestyle caused her to go get water at noon. She probably wasn't very outgoing in town. She probably tried to go around undetected. She probably did her shopping early in the morning when others were out to get water, and she went to get water when they were doing their shopping. And She probably tried to avoid crowds. Why? Because the crowds avoided her. But what is she doing now? She's going person to person. And her desire is now, I've met the Savior, and I want them to know. People who despised her. People who didn't like her. People who wanted nothing to do with her. And now this this desire that's in her life, this new unashamed desire says, I want other people to know. Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Notice lastly then an unexpected impact. An unexpected impact. I want to say it this way this morning. I have it written down in my notes and something that kind of has stood out to me. We know the love of Christ can make a difference in our lives. But what we also need to remember is the love of Christ can make a difference through our lives. If I look at this passage, do you know what I see? I see the woman at the well. Her life is changed. I mean, she's a different person. She now goes back into the city with intent, with purpose, with desire, with new priorities. Why? Because I met Jesus. And now her desire is to bring others to Christ and God uses her to make an incredible impact. Don't miss this. This is the key, I believe, one of the key thoughts of the entire passage in John chapter number four. Well, how did she make an impact? Notice how God used this woman. Verse number 30. Then they went out of the city and they came unto him. Multiple people from the city came unto Jesus. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Hey, because, listen, because of her testimony, others believed. She went in and said, hey, this is the Christ. And she told them the conversation from the passage. She lines out, hey, he told me I'd been married five times and that the person I'm living with wasn't my husband. And he told me this and he answered my religious questions. Hey, is not this the Messiah? And that's all it took for a lot of them. They heard her story, and they believed as well. What happens in verse 41 and 42, you can read it. It says, so many more uh, believed because... Yeah, verse number 40, excuse me. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Now, because she made an impact in their lives, now they're wanting to spend time with Christ. Verse 41 and 42, many more believed because of his own word, and they said to the woman, now we believe, not simply because of your saying, no, we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Can I just say this morning, one woman, and I wish I could just convey it better, but one woman literally impacted an entire village for Christ. And when you read that many more believed, I mean, you're not talking just like 10 or 15 people. No, this entire area was impacted because of one simple lady that understood Jesus changed my life and I want him to do that in someone else's life. Even the people that don't like me, I want God to work in their life. One man said it this way. He said, she seems to have been convinced that he was the Messiah and she went immediately to make it known to others. Our first business when we have found the Savior should be to make him known also to others. Can I say this morning, That God desires, he desires to use his love to impact your life so that you would receive him as Savior. But then he wants you to take his love into the city to the lives of other people. The word into, again, with intent or with purpose. I want us to understand this morning that when you trusted Christ as Savior, your purpose changed your, your priorities change. Your desires should change. Why? Because now you have Christ. Your purpose now is not a paycheck. It's not the 401k. It's not the retirement plan. It's not the grandkids. It's not the kids. It's not the spouse. It's not the job. It's not the sports. It's not the hobbies. It's not, it's not any, any one of those things. No, 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 no. The purpose of somebody, once you receive Jesus Christ, the purpose of your life is to glorify him and to make him known. That's your purpose. That's when you and I find most fulfillment is when we want to glorify God and when we want to make him known. You say, well, I'm just kind of going through life and I'm doing all of my things. Hey, listen, just going through life with the purpose of a water pot is not going to fulfill you. Why? Because that water is not living water. No, 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 no. When I receive the living water of Jesus Christ into my life, he now gives me purpose that everywhere I go, I glorify God. Everywhere I go, I want to make him known. You want to know why our world and why this country and why our state and our city and why people's lives are in such a mess, it's because too many Christians have forgotten their purpose. We've forgotten. We've forgotten that people are going to die and spend eternity in heaven and in hell, and it's your coworker, and it's your classmate, and it's your son, and it's your daughter, and it's your grandson, and your granddaughter, and it's your cousins, and your aunts, and your uncles, and the stranger, and the the waiter, and the waitress, and the coffee barista. Every single one of them are going to spend eternity somewhere, and hey, you and I, we have the answer. Man, we have the living water, and when Jesus Christ comes into my life, it gives me an into-the-city moment. Well, what is the the into-the-city moment? Now I have new purpose. Now I have new intent. Now I have new desires. I want to go and I want to take Jesus to somebody. You say, well, pastor, not everybody can be in ministry. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. It's not everybody become a pastor or a youth pastor or a music pastor. No, no, no. no. It's you be what God called you to be, but take Jesus with you. It's you be the, the police officer, or you be the business owner, or you be the line worker, or you be the farmer, or you be the, the insurance person, or you be, you be the, the, the beautician. or you I don't know what everybody does in here. Listen, you be the retiree. Be the person that says, I have Jesus, and I'm taking him with me. My life is not my own. Why? Because I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which are his. You know what we need today? We need more Christians to say, I'm going to be like the Samaritan woman. I'm gonna remember that Jesus loved me in spite of me and now I'm not simply a construction guy. No, 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 no. Now I'm a saved construction guy. Now I have Jesus Christ in my life. I'm not just a teenager going to school. Oh no, I am a teenager going to school with purpose. And what's my purpose? To glorify Jesus Christ and to lead people to him. Our world is dying and going to hell and Christians are getting comfortable and sitting by and saying, well, I did my two hours at church this week. Pastor preached extra long today. So I got my extra 30 minutes in. No, no, no no, my friend. Eternity is around the corner. Where are the believers that say, I will do the unexpected? What do you mean, pastor? The devil expects you to sit behind and do nothing. This world expects Christians to cower back and say, well, it's not politically correct to speak. No, do the unexpected. Hey, step up and witness to your coworkers. Hey, step up and be that guy that comes to church more than just Sunday. Hey, step up and be the person that witnesses to the neighbors. Hey, step up and spend time in prayer. Hey, step up and be the dad and the mom that lead your teens and say, hey, I'm glad you play sports, but sports are not more important than Jesus. I'm glad you enjoy video games, but video games are not more important with Jesus. Hey, do the unexpected. Be the unexpected teenager that goes to school and says, I'm not trying just to fit in. No, I'm trying to stand out for my Christ. Why? New purpose. Hey, when you get saved, go into the city. New intention, new priorities, new desire. Why? New fulfillment. I'm thankful I have Christ. I can't imagine going through things that many in here have been through and I've been through without Jesus. I I can't imagine it. I don't ever have to. And that's not an arrogant statement. No, I have Jesus simply because he loved me because of him. And the result of a person who realizes what Jesus Christ has done for them, the result is they go into the city. The result is Andrew and Philip. Philip. What Andrew and Philip do, they went and found people and brought them to Christ. The result is Levi or Matthew, when he got saved, he invited many other tax collectors and sinners to come sit at the table of Jesus. The result is Paul, when he got saved, he showed a great concern and planted dozens and dozens of churches. The result is the blind who are healed that go out and proclaim the name of Jesus, the possessed that were set free that set 10 cities on fire for Christ. I mean, time and time and time again, we find in Scripture people who were shown the love of Christ and they said, I'm going to to let that love of Jesus not only make a difference in me, but I'm going to let it make a difference through me. They have the spirit of the disciples in Acts 4.20. We cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. I love how one man concluded this passage. He said, when you consider how little spiritual truth this woman knew, her zeal and her witness put us to shame. But God used her simple testimony, and many of the people came out to the well to meet Jesus. This woman did not come to faith in Christ immediately. Jesus, he was patient with her, and in, and in this, he sets a good example for us in our own personal work. Certainly, she was the least likely prospect for salvation, yet God used her to win almost an entire village. Let me say this morning, you never know what God will do when you go into the city. I'll tell you a story and we're done. In 1933, 1933, 1934, around that time, a bus worker went out, decided to go into the city, got challenged and said, I'm gonna go invite kids to ride the bus to church. Bus worker went and went to a neighborhood and in that neighborhood met a a little, uh, probably about a a five-year-old little girl and a seven-year-old little boy, eight-year-old little boy and said, hey, would you guys like to ride the bus to church tomorrow? They asked mom. Mom said, sure, go, go to church. They rode the bus to church that Sunday. They went in. The teacher got up and taught about who Jesus was and what he did and his death, burial, and resurrection. And that little boy and that little girl, they, they received Christ in their life. They went home, and, and they, they, over the course of the next six weeks, eight weeks, they really just began to change. They loved going to church. They began asking for Bibles. They began, I mean, just, just really growing in their own, their little, little walk as just a little child. Pretty soon, mom said, what, what are you guys teaching them down there at that church? And the bus worker said, well, why don't you ride tomorrow? Oh, my husband would never let me. We'll just ride. All right, all right, I'll do it. So the husband got up, went to work. Mom got up, got the kids ready. She got ready, rode the bus to church went to church, heard the gospel preached, walked the aisle, trusted Jesus Christ as savior. Made a decision with an altar worker to receive Christ and put her faith in Jesus and him alone. Now, mom, son, daughter, they're all they're all Christians. And they began thinking, "Well, dad's not going to like this." Hey guys, let's just pray for him. So they prayed, prayed and prayed. 6-7 weeks more went by. Finally, it came to a revival. The pastor said, hey, why don't you invite your husband to come? Oh, he'll never come. Why don't you just try? All right. Saturday, hey, honey, tomorrow's a revival at church, guest preacher coming in. Would you come? No, that's not for me, with a few words in there. Monday, hey, honey, would you come? No, that's not for me. A few more words. These are the days when revivals would go for two or three weeks, Came to the end of the revival. Honey, I've been asking you to go. You don't have any, you don't have to work tomorrow. You don't have to work tonight. Would you go? I'll go if you promise never to ask me again. All right. So he went. Showed up late. It was an old polled church. He sat behind the pole where he couldn't see the pastor and the pastor couldn't see him. Halfway through the message, he got up, went outside, smoked a few cigarettes. Came back in, sat down. Nonchalant, just kind of there, wasn't paying attention. Invitation came. Pastor had preached the gospel. And to her surprise, a verse into the invitation song, that man got up. And walked the aisle. Somebody met him, showed him the gospel from the Word of God, and that man trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. That man went home that day, threw out his cigarettes, dumped out all of his alcohol, replaced his cigarettes that were in his pocket of his shirt that day, replaced it with a New Testament went to work and began telling all of his friends what had happened. Oh, no, you? No, no, you didn't get religion. It's so, said, no, I didn't get religion. I got Jesus. That man quit his job. He went to Bible college. And from 1937 to 1996, God used that man to start or re- revive 32 churches that we know of. Because of that man, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people have trusted Christ. That man was my great-grandfather. That little girl that got saved, that prayed for her daddy, was my grandma. My story, my story, and the story of all of my family, I have aunts and uncles that are all saved on my dad's side of the family. I've got a cousin who pastors, another cousin who's a youth pastor. My dad pastored, my uncle pastors, my brother-in-law pastors. Our family, my kids are all saved. They all know Jesus. I want to point out one thing. All of it was because of one bus worker. One bus worker. Hey, you're one person, but God could use you to revolutionize an entire generation of a family. Well, pastor, I don't know what to do. This woman didn't know what to do. She didn't have a Bible college degree. She didn't go to seminary. She didn't study a doctorate. You know what she did? Hey, something happened to me. I met Jesus. I I want you to come meet him one story can change and make an, can change millions and it can make an unexpected impact here's what i want to close with and ask you today will you do the unexpected hey again the devil expects you to sit back and just comfortable christianity check off your checklist read the bible yep went to church yep i served yep i checked the devil expects that. He expects this church to just kind of stay, meh, mediocre. Yeah, we grew a little. Yeah, we had some families move and we grew again. Now, you know, de- you know what the devil should see? He should see some believers that say, I'll, I'll do the unexpected. This week, someone needs you to do the unexpected. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.